Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college basketball, the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 176. The Cincinnati Reds threw a combined no-hitter against the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday, May 15th, 2022. While no-hitter is cool and all, what makes this impressive is the fact that the Reds lost the game on a fielder's choice play. This is the sixth time in MLB history that a no-hitter has been attained or whatever you want to call it, but that team had lost. Uh, The first time this happened was the 1964 Reds losing to the Colt 45s, who are now the Houston Astros. The next time was the 1967 Baltimore Orioles, losing to the Detroit Tigers. The 1990 Yankees is up next, losing to the White Sox. And then the 1992 Red Sox, losing to the Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians. And the most recent one, prior to May 15th, 2022, was the 2008 Angels, losing to the Dodgers. Yeah, that's that sort of just describes... The, the the red season they were they were going on a little bit of run of a run they have been uh, decent um, since Josh made his prediction about how bad they were going to be they've been okay and then they go and do that and that just pretty much sums up the red season you throw a no hitter and you lose that's that's a special kind of bad right there that's and it's weird kind of it's bad. weird that it's happened six times it just shows how odd and also just how long the MLB is going for you'd think maybe that happened two times three times but no six times you throw a no hitter and still lose the game but I like that the Reds did it first and most recently good for them you know a sport has been going on a long time when it's uh, modern era starts in 1901 yeah that that's how you know your sport's been going on a long time just a what 121 year old modern era uh-huh. Yeah. Most other sports hadn't even been invented at the start of baseball's modern <laughs> era. So, yeah. Uh, college basketball, I don't know. Was it invented by then? When did college basketball start? No, I gotta look this uh, up. When was Naismith in there? When did college basketball start? January well, 18th, 1896. Was, oh, he was wow. born in okay. 1861, so. Yeah, so 1896 was the first game. The University of Iowa versus the University of Chicago. This is according to americaslibrary.gov. Sounds sounds legit. I trust it. It's the government. Everything they say is true. It's true. They're very good at their jobs all the time. 100%. So I guess so. college (laughs) basketball had been invented at the start of baseball's modern era. But they were still playing Um, with peach baskets. Yes. And, you know, apparently Iowa was the first one to do it. So we'll just pretend that game never happened because we don't want to give Iowa credit for anything. Well, that just extends yeah. their, you know, streak of never making it to a Sweet 16 probably since then. I'm not sure. I won't cite that's, that. That's true. But anyway, now that we know college, when college basketball started, Arian, do you want to fill us in on some uh, more modern details, please? Yeah. So this week um, we got some news. It was on the 13th. Uh, that the Iowa State Cyclones men's team landed the two-time Atlantic Player of the Year, Osun Osuniyi is how I'm going to pronounce that. I can't promise you that is correct. Uh, He's 6'10", played for St. Bonaventure, averaged 11.3 points, 7.5 rebounds, and ranked 8th in the nation with 2.9 blocks a game last season. 
So, I mean, we've talked on this podcast before, as have a million other people, I'm sure, that we have a big need for size and a big need for defense in the middle. And at least on paper, this looks like something that will really help us get to where we want to be with that. Um, I saw in this article, he had blocked at least one shot in 29 of 31 games last year and had 19 games with three or more blocks. So if we can get anywhere close to that kind of uh, production from him, I think that would be fantastic. We have already seen how uh, Coach TJ coaches the defense and it's a defense first mentality. If we can have the kind of perimeter defense we had last year uh, combined with uh, an interior force like that, it's going to be really challenging to score on us. And we'll just have to hope that we can get some offense this season. It'll be I I think Gabe Kausher's perimeter defense along with um now Osuniyi, is that right? How did you pronounce that? We'll, we'll go for it. That's fine. Osuniyi. Okay. Osuniyi. I'll have to figure it out before the start of the season. His first maybe name I'll is Osun. His, maybe I'll just go with that for now. With Osun's inside presence, um and Kausher maybe can shut down their ball handler. Um this could be a defensive team that's as good or better than um, last year's team defensively, which would be very good. That would be exciting. Yeah, and if we can, I guess, for Gabe, it'd be progressing to the mean and just being better and closer to his career averages, he will automatically be a better player on offense. He had a historically low year last year for him. So if we can just kind of bounce back and just shoot average in general, I think that'll be a scary team for people to face and they won't look forward to it. Uh, that is the second player that we've gotten transferred to us from St. Bonaventure, uh, joining guard Jaron Holmes, who was their second scorer, second leading scorer last year. And uh, that brings our total list of transfers so far for men's basketball to those two, Hassan Ward from VCU, Jeremiah Williams from Temple. And if you want to count Trey King, he transferred from Georgetown last season, but he was not eligible until this season, so he kind of counts. We haven't seen him play yet. But that's uh, just the update on our transfer news. Obviously, we lost uh, not Isaiah Brockington, Tyrese Hunter. So big, big loss for us. Um, I feel like oh, other than that, we made out pretty well. Whether those guys can replace what we lost, we'll have to see. But I at least have a little bit of optimism going into the season a lot more than I did when we first heard the news that he was transferring out. We still don't know where he is transferring to also. So uh, interesting stuff there. Yeah, he is still considering those same programs that we talked about um, when he first announced he was transferring. So Texas, for example, is still in the mix. Kansas. Um, just don't go to the Big 12. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll burn it down if he goes to Kansas. I'm right here. Just imagine how much he's going to get booed. Oh, and when he comes I'll be back there. to Hilton Coliseum, I'll buy tickets just to do it. Yeah, that will he, that will not go over well. Yeah, just go but to go to, to North Carolina or something. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't be the end of the world. And from college basketball, we will transition into a sport that is actually being played currently with the MLB. Mike, you want to talk to us a little bit about what happened this week? So this week, um. The thing that the, the big trend that I'm starting to to see across Major League Baseball is I'm there's only really one dominant team, um, and to me that's the Mac, uh, not the, so excuse me the Yankees. Um, the Yankees are currently 25 and nine. Um, they've got a plus 69 run differential, the best in baseball um, behind the Dodgers, um, but. 
to me, as far as record-wise, the Yankees are the only team that has been um, dominant this year. The Mets, who were dominant early, have fallen back to earth a little bit. Um, Houston is on a nice uh, 9-1 and one, um, streak right now, but um, they were struggling out of the gate, so I wouldn't call them dominant. The Dodgers have not been quite as dominant over the last week either. Um, in fact, the, the San Diego Padres have come and tied them up now in that division um, out west there. So that's what I'm finding is there's no dominant teams. There's certainly some bad teams. I've talked about the Reds are bad. Washington's bad. The Royals are bad. The Tigers are bad. Um, but there's, I'm not seeing a dominant team. And maybe that'll change as the season uh, goes on. It certainly could. But right now, just the Yankees are dominant. Everybody else is just, there's a lot of mediocre this year. There's some teams that are good to mediocre, some teams that are mediocre to bad, teams that are bad. But there's only one really good team, I'd say, so far. And we'll see. That'll ebb and flow as the season goes on, of course. But basically, as soon as I predicted that the Yankees would suck, they decided to play good. So maybe I should predict that they'll be good, so they'll suck. I don't know. Go for it. Reverse psychology on the Yankees. Um, as far as interesting tidbits of things that happened um, over the last week, um, I know we had some exciting um, things going on in St. Louis, um, Ariana. Yeah, uh, Albert Pujols uh, back in St. Louis this season. Where we were in the midst of, I believe it was a 15-2 to game at the point. Uh, they just decided to put in Albert Pujols to pitch in the bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth. I don't recall. Um, it was fun. He looked beautiful up there. He looked like he was just lobbing it. I think he hit a strike zone sometimes. It was pretty high. Uh, he gave up two home runs, I think four runs, but he did get three outs. So that was pretty good for somebody who's never pitched. It was his first time pitching in his career in the MLB. Uh, he finished with a 36 ERA. But just kind of fun to see, and especially fun to see since uh, the Cardinals were on the winning side of a blowout and not the losing side. But just kind of a interesting little tidbit. If you have a second, go on wherever and pop up the video. It's kind of fun to watch. And then yeah, it's, uh, it, it's always fun to watch position players pitch. It's just something I enjoy. I don't know why the Twins had it happen this week as well. Um, during the resumption of a suspended game, Nick Gordon came in. Um, to pitch for the Twins. So his dad was actually a major league pitcher, so that one sort of makes a little bit of sense, at least. But. I think it gives you a little bit of appreciation for pitchers because these guys are professional athletes and they're around baseball all the time, and it still looks that awkward when they go up to the mound to pitch. Like, it's not something you can casually easily do. Uh-huh. Yes, it's... Uh, yeah, it's amazing how talented those pitchers are to just be able to pick their spots like that and hit it. Um, yeah. Um, and in other news, uh, heads are starting to roll on some teams that um, aren't getting off to the start they wanted to. Um, the Royals fired their hitting coach, Terry Bradshaw, um, which I believe is different than the former NFL quarterback slash analyst. I hope it is. Otherwise, maybe that's why they fired him, because there's probably not much in common between playing quarterback and hitting a Major League Baseball. I don't know. 
Joe Mauer was an All-State quarterback as well as an All-State baseball player in Minnesota, so I don't know. Maybe they should have hired him instead. Maybe they'd be hitting a little better. They could be, yeah. But other than that, there's not not been a ton of news out of Major League Baseball. Um, it's still mid-May. We're still just over a month into the season, so there's still quite a bit to figure out. But the season is off to a good start. Um, we've had no major COVID issues. I believe there's only been one game all season postponed due to COVID. That was this week between the Guardians and the White Sox. Um, most of the Guardians coaching staff tested positive, so it wasn't even a player's outbreak. It was just that like they had six coaches test positive like three hours before a game. So that game would have been tough to play. Um, but other than that, we've been really good um, with uh, COVID as well. The season's just rolling right along, and it's great to see. Great to see baseball on every day. Um, and as MLB season rolls on, it means our winter sports, the NBA and NHL, are going to finish up here soon. Uh, Ariane will fill us in on the NBA playoffs, and then I'll jump in for some NHL playoffs. Yeah, so the NBA playoffs are still in full swing. We do have the conference finals set. The Eastern Conference Finals will be the Heat versus the Celtics. And then the West will be the Warriors versus the Mavericks. Uh, the theme of the second round of the playoffs kind of seemed to be all these series going out with a whimper. A lot of them started pretty strong. It was a lot of back and forth, a lot of close games, and then it just kind of all petered out. And no one was really satisfied by how the series ended. Obviously, teams were excited to win and bummed to lose, but just there were a lot of non-competitive games happening at the end. Um, on Sunday, uh, the Bucks and the Celtics and the Suns and the Mavericks both played very vaunted and, you know, hyped up Game 7s. These had been fun series, and they were just just blowout city, like nowhere close. It was kind of close at the half for Bucks celtics but on the other side for uh, Suns-Mavericks, it was not close in any way, pretty much from the start of the game. Um, let me pull up these. It was... Uh, the final score for Bucks Celtics was 109-81, and the final score for Mavericks Suns was 123-90. So, not really any basketball worth watching. Um, terrible game from Giannis in Game 7, and a terrible game from Chris Paul and Devin Booker for the Suns in Game 7. So, uh, the biggest stars didn't play as well as you would have liked to see them. And then the Heat 76ers ended with the 76ers stars, putting up pretty weak efforts. I think Chris or James Harden had nine shots in the whole game and two in the second half Joel Embiid didn't play great but in my opinion when you're playing with a broken face and a torn ligament in your thumb you should get a little bit more credit um and Warriors Grizzlies ended up with Ja injured and he did not play the second two games it was a little closer because the Grizzlies are fantastic without Ja on the floor as well but just not what you like to see and a little bit disappointing so hopefully we get some pretty competitive matchups for the conference finals I think Heat Celtics will be a bloodbath these guys are both built around defense. They're going to go at each other. It'll be really fun to watch. Probably uh, taste Jason Tatum on uh, Jimmy Butler, for sure. And then Warriors-Mavericks, it's hard to tell. Luka Doncic is fantastic. He always has been, but the Warriors just look fantastic as well. And they have a ton of firepower. My money is on the Warriors. And I'll just flip a coin out east. I don't even know who would get out of that. One thing I noticed watching these games over time on the second round was there seemed to be a drastic difference in how games were officiated from one series to the other. Uh, the Suns and the Mavericks were just a flop fest. People were embellishing contact, if you will. 
Every bump, every touch, people are falling over in the paint, getting the whistle, getting turnovers, getting free throws, whatever. And then in the Bucks celtics series, it was incredibly physical the whole time. The refs were letting them play almost to excess sometimes, and it looked almost gladiatorial sometimes, the way they were hitting each other and shoving each other on the floor and getting no calls for that. So I'll be interested to see, presumably, all the refs get together after certain rounds and go over what's good and what isn't. And we'll see where they come to a consensus and hopefully meet somewhere in the middle, but hopefully more towards the not calling a million fouls a game side. But that's just what I have noticed in the second round. Um, you have anything of that, Mike, Wyatt, anything? Well, so maybe I'm reading too much into this, but um, so right through this whole season, really, we were talking how it was sort of a, a three-way race for MVP between Jokic, Harden, and, and Giannis, right? And yep. now they're all three out before the conference finals. Sure Maybe enough. I'm just reading too much into that, but is that just an anomaly for this year? Or is that, you know, maybe a trend that's going to develop that, you know, the best players now aren't like LeBron level like they used to be where they can just carry a team in the playoffs? Yeah. So no one is really LeBron level unless your name That's is fair. Michael Jordan or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So I, I would agree Michael. with you. Does that uh, count? Halfway there, we could put you on a team and see what happens. That would be interesting. I'm sure our listeners <laughs> I would, would watch enjoy it. watching that. Yeah. Um, but Just, I'll, I'll take Cat one-on-one. Let's go. <laughs> That's fine. I would watch that for sure. You know, as long as it's in the postseason, he'll probably choke and it'll be fine. You'll be all right. Okay. Um. Part of the reason that Jokic won, um, obviously his numbers were fantastic this year, but a big part of that was because he had to. He didn't have players that were, I mean, he had he was losing his second and third best player basically the entirety of the season. If Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. were healthy, his numbers probably don't look as good. He doesn't win MVP, and they're probably in the second round. Uh, they wouldn't be playing the Warriors in the first round, and their team is probably a lot better overall. But he's not going to win that MVP, in my opinion. Um, there was a similar type of deal with Giannis. They went all the way to seven with the Celtics, but this was a, a, a excuse me. This was a seven-game series while Chris Middleton didn't play a single game. Who is the Bucks' second best player? So if Middleton had been there, they probably win in five or six. So he did what he could. Um, it was a combination of him not having his second best player and the Celtics being one of the best defensive teams that we've seen in modern basketball history, probably the past 15 so odd years. So they knew exactly what they needed to do to shut him down. And he didn't really have anybody who could respond and make that shot for himself. Drew Holiday is good, but he is not like main man good. He's more of a secondary mm-hmm. piece, great defender. He can get it done when he needs to, but he's not who you need to rely on to win in a game seven. Uh, for uh, Joel Embiid, um, he just kind of got unlucky. He broke his face, and then he tore his hand ligament, and James Harden was kind of what they based their whole season on. They were like, well, if we're not getting anything for Ben Simmons, let's trade for James Harden, and hopefully we can get Rockets James Harden, and Rockets James Harden, he is not. He looks old. No. He doesn't have the burst he used to. He's not. If he can't blow by people, they don't have to play as far up on him. He can't get his step back. He's not getting to the line. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he kind of tries to remold his game to be more of a game manager this offseason because the way that he used to play is not playing anymore. Um, I think it'll be 
I don't think it'll be a trend necessarily, other than we are seeing a lot more balanced NBA overall, I think. There are a lot of really good players on a lot of different teams, and I don't think that there's a LeBron-level talent. Even LeBron, I don't think, is a LeBron-level talent anymore. He's a little bit on the far end of his career. And I will say that triple-double season by Russell Westbrook when he won the MVP kind of took a little bit of the taboo off of not giving it to basically the best player on the best team, which was before that just what you expected. You're going to be on a top two seed and you're going to be the best player there. But then we Mm -hmm. kind of decided if you had a statistically important season that was impressive, you can still win even if you're not on the best team. So you might see it a little bit more, but overall I wouldn't be shocked if we still see it, um, you know. Similar to what it is, probably making the conference finals at least. Okay. That's, that's a good observation that they're all those supporting players for all those players would just hurt, or they themselves will hurt come to the playoffs. So. Yeah, I mean, when you got to play with a mask on and you broke your orbital bone, and it's not even the first time you've broken your orbital bone in the playoffs, it was actually the other side. But uh, that, that definitely sucks. And watching the games, it was really bothering him. He was taking that mask off and squeezing his eyes and rubbing his face constantly. So I'm sure it was bothering him a lot. But we can move on to another postseason that is in full effect. We're into, what, the second round now in the NHL? Yeah, the first round series are all over in the NHL. Um Five of those eight series actually went seven games. So that sort of fit with the theme that I talked about last week where um, very, where a large number of those series were close. Um, um, so just to go over what happened, the Blues ended up beating the Wild in six games. Um, the Avalanche beat the Predators in four games. So the Blues and Avalanche will play in one Western Conference semifinal. And then the Oilers beat the Kings in seven games, and the Calgary Flames beat the Stars in seven games as well. Um, So those two teams will meet. Out east, the Panthers beat the Capitals in seven games, and the Lightning beat the Maple Leafs in seven games. Um, Those two teams will meet up. And then the Hurricanes beat the Bruins in seven games, and the Rangers beat the Penguins also in seven games. Sorry, the Panthers beat the Capitals in six games. I misspoke there. Um, so the Hurricanes and Rangers will play each other. So, um, so very competitive series. The games also got more competitive um, as the series went on. If you remember last week, um, I said we'd had a lot of uncompetitive games. Um, just in the game sixes and sevens, um, there were three overtime games just there. Um, so... Definitely some closer games down the stretch. Um, high seeds won in six of the eight series, which is a little high for hockey. Um, just hockey, the playoffs tend to be a little more random um, in hockey than in some other sports, just because it's low scoring. You can get a little more luck and randomness in there. We've talked about that previously. but um, So a little bit more chalky than normal, but um, definitely interesting. And again, it definitely shows how stupid the um, NHL playoff bracket is, um, as we talked about a few weeks ago, um, with the Wild and Blues both being two of the best um, three teams in the West now gone, and um, the Lightning and um, Maple Leafs were both top four teams in the East, and now um, they had to play, and the, the Maple Leafs are gone. So 
I don't see this changing because the NHL to the league, this isn't a big issue, but to me, this is a big issue and it needs to change. We need to go back to the just seeding them one through eight, like, or maybe giving the division winners some advantage, but you can't have the next two teams in the division playing each other in the, the next round. It's just not good. It just doesn't work. Yeah, so. Generally, if you're the only sport that's seeding the teams a certain way, it either means that you have a really good idea or a really dumb idea. And this one is the dumb one. Yes, this one is definitely the dumb one. The third best team in a conference should not have to travel on the road to the second best team in the conference in the first round. That just shouldn't happen. But that's the way it goes. And all you can do is um, play with the hand that you dealt. So you you make the most of it and you move on. It worked for St. Louis. They, they moved on. The Wild were the one that couldn't take it. So... Um, and in other NHL news, um, Las Vegas, um, the Golden Knights fired their um, head coach um, after missing the playoffs for the first time in their franchise's existence. Um, to me, they shouldn't even be making the playoffs at this point as an expansion franchise. You're supposed to suck for a few years, like the Seattle Kraken succeeded in doing. So... Three out of four years in the playoffs for an expansion team should be like a really, really good thing, not a fire your coach thing. Um, I get that, you know, the not making the playoffs is the most recent one, but still, to me, it seems a little bit premature to fire that coach. But I don't make the decisions. They don't pay me to make the decisions. So that's the way it is. Seems like winning that championship right off the bat really skewed uh, expectations. And yeah, any no, other... remember, did they win that championship? I believe they just went to the finals. Oh, did they just go? That. I'm sorry. That, that's my fault. Let me, let me double, you could be right. Let me double check that. Just the um, fact that if it was in like the third season, then, then he'd be fine. Just the fact that it happened to be the first and then they were like, great, do it every year. That wouldn't happen to any other coach other than the fact that it basically just started. Uh, the, the Capitals did beat them. Okay. In, my apologies to the year. Capitals. But yes, your point still stands. Your point still stands. Yeah, but eh, it's okay. We'll see you next year if it works out or not. Um, in Mike's stupid rules this week, we're gonna go to uh, we're gonna talk about a play and its ruling for something that happened um, in a game between the Marlins and the Diamondbacks last week. So what we had was um, the first base umpire. We had a line drive. It was hit at the first base umpire who sort of like did like a jump spin move to get out of the way while also still looking at the ball. And he sees the ball and he sees that it hit fair, but he sort of got turned around during his jump spin move and pointed foul. <laughs> um, now, at that point, everybody stopped, right? The ump signaled foul, but the ball was fair and he knew the ball was fair and he intended to call the ball fair. Um, so essentially what happened is, right, he called foul, so the play is dead, all the players stopped. Um, so what happens here now with that sort of inadvertent signal is we go to rule 8.02 part C. Um, this, um, sort of talks about appealed plays, um, but, um, it also covers asking other umpires for assistance in situations like that. 
So it's, this rule says that no umpire can criticize or seek to reverse another umpire unless that umpire asks for assistance. Then those umpires can consult, and if they change the call that has been made, then they have the authority to take all steps that they deem necessary to eliminate the results and consequences of the call that they are reversing. Um, so in this case, they can place the runners wherever they would have they judge that they would have been if the umpire would have correctly called that ball fair. Um, in this case, since it was a, a line drive down the line, it resulted in um, the batter runner being placed at second base and all runners advancing two bases. Um, also in this case, um, you cannot um, argue or challenge um, that play. So an umpire can come out and just, hey, explain why you did what you did, um, but they can't um, argue. If they argue that, it is grounds for immediate ejection. Um, so essentially, it's do what you think you would have needed to do to get the call right, essentially is what it comes down to, which in the end, that's their goal, right? The umpire's job is to get the call right. So, As a football official, this seems like a super inadvertent whistle type of rule, essentially. Where you yes. can kind of screw your own, screw, you know, fix your own screw up, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially baseball's equivalent of an inadvertent whistle. An inadvertent foul ball call is the same as an, is equivalent to an inadvertent whistle, right? Everybody stops playing when they shouldn't have. So, yeah. Good analogy, right? Um, what was not so good as per usual is our accountability session. We do have at least one correct prediction on the board. Um, actually, we have multiple correct predictions on the board, so maybe not terrible. But um, first coming off the board is not a correct prediction. Ariane um, predicted that the Kansas City Royals would sign Jarvis Landry. Um, news broke on the Monday the 16th that he would actually be going back and signing with New Orleans. Um, so for that, Ariane gets a nah. Nah, nah. Um, I predicted, um, as I alluded to earlier in the episode, that the Yankees would be below 500 at the end of May. It's not even the end of May, but the Yankees have been so good that even now at this point, they are guaranteed not to be below 500 at the end of May. So I can take this off the board now with a nah. Nah. Kyle predicted the Blues would win their first series, which, uh, as we talked about, they did. So ding, 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 ding. Josh predicted the Bucks would beat the Celtics in seven. They ended up, oh, sorry, beat them in five. They ended up losing in seven. So for that, Josh gets a nah. Nah, nah. Look, last week when Arian was gone, he did get a prediction in that said the Celtics-Bucks series would go seven games, which it did. So ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. You guys almost gave me a triple for that. I was excited. We did. I'm glad we did. Yeah. When I saw that happened, I was I had to go back and look. I'm like, oh, please tell me we didn't give him the extra base for that. I was listening to the to the episode that when it came out, and that was after that game that you guys were like, okay, well, the Celtics will definitely win this game, and they choked it, and I was like, oh, man, I wish I got a triple for that. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, almost gave it to you only because the Bucks were up so much in that game. So, but... You'll take the double, I'm sure. I will. Anything <laughs> I can. Yeah, correct prediction is a correct prediction. All right. Um, so to get stuff back on the board, um, I am officially going to jump on the Twins Are Good bandwagon and say that the Twins will win the AL Central. 
Um, I don't think they're one of the best teams in the American League, but I think the AL Central is bad. So I'm going to predict that they will win the AL Central. Let's see. They are currently three games uh, in front of the Guardians and White Sox, and then you have the Royals and the Tigers. So we're really mostly talking about the three teams at the top for any realistic odds, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. So according to fan graphs, the White Sox have a 48% chance to win the division, Twins 38 and Guardians 12. According to 538, the White Sox have a 54% chance. Oh, sorry, that's make playoff. Excuse me. The White Sox have a 37% chance. The Twins have a 41% chance, and the Guardians have a 19% chance. So that's feeling pretty singly. That that's pretty singly, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The odds are slightly better than I was hoping they were. So yeah, I guess I'll take the single. I was but as a fan, a you should be excited about that. That's true. <laughs> I was hoping that prediction would be double worthy, but the numbers don't lie. So, do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's doing good. He is enjoying um, the baseball, and he is predicting that the I typed Royals, but I definitely meant to type Brewers score ten plus runs this series against the Braves. This series being Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, it should be noted that um, the Brewers are currently winning one to nothing in the ninth inning of their game, so they will probably only get one run in the first game. How many games is this series? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Three. So it'll Three. be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they'll probably only score one run on Monday. So they need to score four runs and five runs? Yes. This seems like either a single or a double to me. It, it uh... was a single... If before Monday's game started, it would definitely have been a single, but he made the prediction when it was already one nothing late in the game. So They're averaging 4.88 runs a game, so it'd be pretty in line for them to score about that much. Yeah, so single? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Single. The intro fun fact about the Reds really got me uh, thinking about how bad they are, and I think they're just going to stay bad. I'm going to say that the Reds will never leave the bottom of the NL Central. Not even for like a day, you say. Not even for a day. So like at the end of the day. So if there's like a half game, something, and they're like flippy flip the, for like half a day, that doesn't count. Gotcha. What if they're tied? Do they have to fit completely pass another team? They have to completely pass another team. Gotcha. So currently the Cubs have a five-game lead over them and the – um, Pirates have a six and a half game lead over them. Hmm. I'm thinking this is either a single or a double. What do you think, Arian? I'd, I'd give it a double just for length. Yeah, predicting something the whole year. That, yeah. They have I been can, playing better baseball as of late. I was going to say, you have a hot week and one of these other teams at the bottom doesn't. I, I can yeah. see it flip-flopping for a couple days. They'll probably they'll end the season there, I would assume. But to say they'll never, ever, ever... Maybe bump up to fourth place. That I get. That seems hard to for sure. No, I would give it a double. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Double it is. What do you got, Arian? I was inspired by Mike's prediction, and I changed my prediction. So uh, now my prediction is that the Cardinals will win the NL Central. Okay. To mirror your Twins winning the AL Central. Five thirty-eight has them at a twenty-one percent chance to win the division. That's a Fangraphs has them at 16, so that's That's double slash triple territory, yeah. 
Fangraphs is more in triple territory, 15%. Ah, that's like right on the edge there. It is. Ooh. What were you hoping from this, Arya? Somewhere between a double and a triple. I'll take it. The triple, Brewers you know, have, have a 75% chance of winning it, though. Yeah. You know, it's not I like mean, it's a three-way tie like the the, uh, the AL Central. We, we can come up with this notation like my softball team has had to for triple where the runner only got to second base because it <laughs> fell down rounding second base. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know what that means in a prediction sense, but I don't think I want that. <laughs> you don't want to fall down when running rounding second base. I, I don't. I guess if it scored the same as a triple, it's like the opposite of a standing triple. It's a falling down triple. But then you you crawl back to second base in embarrassment afterwards. No, that doesn't sound fun. I'll take I'll take a normal triple if I'm getting the choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine uh, with that. I'm fine yeah. with the triple. Sounds good. With two singles, a double, and a triple, that rounds out our write that down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 176 of the 83 Living Cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around and hanging out with us, talking about sports. Signing off for the 83 Living Cast, we have your hosts Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!